Consider Jesus. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. The author of Hebrews gives us a command we love to obey. Think about the Savior. Fix your thoughts on Christ. But He is infinite. We need to narrow the scope of our consideration. Well, then, let's think about Him as the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. What does that mean? How does He fill those roles? And do we understand what we're saying when we say we believe in Him, our confession? Here's Jim. In order to show us the exceeding abundance, great salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished in this incarnated work where he became flesh, where he dwelt among us, in order for us to understand its benefit to us and its necessity for us, the author has to continue to make a series of comparisons. Comparison number one, God spoke to the prophets in old times, but that revelation was partial and used various limited means. Number two, God spoke and administered through the angels. And that was valid, but it's not the ultimate. The one we're going to study is Jesus. And that's what the author says in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, he says, holy brothers and companions in a heavenly calling. Now, brothers and sisters, that's still ahead of us. The calling is real, and it's a call that comes from heaven, provided by heaven, and takes us to heaven. But we're not home at heaven yet. We're not there yet. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to people whom he calls brothers, he calls them holy, which means that they have experienced the marvelous grace of God in salvation where you receive by faith on the basis of faith alone. You don't earn it, but you receive as a gift of God the very righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you are holy, so that you are, are cleansed, so that you are forgiven, so that you at this moment, God has nothing against you that can give him any cause to judge you. Why? Because he has put upon you, he has allocated to you, he has put on your record the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why they're holy. Not because the behavior is perfect. They're holy because they have been imputed, they have been given the gift of righteousness. That's what makes them holy. And they are brothers because in that act of rebirth, they were united in a new family. They become members of the body of Christ. They become companions and brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. That's what the last part of chapter 2 was all about. So that's his audience. And that's us tonight, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We are... We are, we are holy because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and because of his perfect death on our behalf that took away our sins, the burden of our sins. We are holy. We are brothers. We are companions in a heavenly calling. That means we have a heavenly destiny. We are not part of this world anymore. We're just not. We're strangers and pilgrims here. We don't fit in. We don't think like our neighbors and friends do. 
We are heavenly. We're, we're called to set our affection to things above. That's where our treasures are. That's where our focus is. That's where our reality is. That's where we're going to spend eternity. That's where the most meaningful things about us are going to be unpacked, revealed, and implemented. It's a heavenly calling, and that's a forward look for us. We're not there yet. And, but we will be there, we will be there in heaven, actually in heaven, when the eschatology, or when the last days, have all been fulfilled. Taking us to heaven is a part of what God promises to do for those who are in Christ Jesus. See it? The author's going to do this all the time. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. He's talking about the fulfillment of all the precious things that Jesus Christ did for us and earned for us and has given to us. And he's going back through the life and ministry of Jesus and showing that we can't lose them. That Jesus didn't come in second. Jesus came in first. Absolutely way ahead of the first of the class. And that what he did has, has effective and eternal results for those who will trust him. Who will trust him. He's worthy of your trust. That's what the author's trying to say. So he's talking, therefore, to other believers. These would be sincere believers, not fake believers. He's talking to people who generally have placed faith in Jesus Christ in response to the gospel. Okay. Therefore, holy brothers, companions in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Here we go. That's his topic. Consider Jesus. Why? He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. That is, he is the most authentic evidence that what he promises is valid. And he's also the high priest. We don't need earthly priests. We don't need confessionals to human ears. We don't need an intermediary who can magically, somehow, mystically take a loaf of bread and make it the very body of Christ. You don't need that. He is our high priest. And boy, when we get to that passage where the writer starts talking about the effectiveness and the finality of what Jesus did in his work as high priest, it's going to send goosebumps up and down your, up and down your spine. That's who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus as the object of our faith, as the pioneer of our faith, as the producer of our faith, as the substance of our faith, as the anchor of our confidence. That's what he's talking about. Now, in order to show how enormously significant Jesus is, the writer picks out the most famous of all the Old Testament prophets, Moses. Moses. Look what he says. He says, let's consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. 
Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be, what would be, what would be said in the future. There we are again, pointing to the future, pointing to the future, pointing to the future. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son. Moses is a servant. Christ is son. He's one of the heavenly family. He is faithful as a son over his household, whose household we are if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Now, what's hope? Hope is what rises by way of expectation when my faith rests upon an adequate foundation. That's what hope is. Hope isn't, boy, I wish, boy, I'd like to see, boy, it'd be nice if. It's not wishing upon a star. That's not, that's not hope. Hope is the expectation and anticipation that legitimately rises from the heart and soul of someone who has an absolute, unshakable faith in an unmovable foundation. Got it? <laughs> You're looking at me like, what did you ever suffer? These are exciting passages. You see what the author wants us to see. He wants us to see that Moses, as faithful as he was, was limited in his ministry. He was, he was a servant, a slave within a household. Jesus, on the other hand, was the son who owned the house. Moses is part of the workers who put in the foundation, uh, put in the septic system, put on the tile. Jesus is the owner of the house that's being built. Moses was very important, very significant, and very successful in much that he did. But what he did was limited in its benefit for those who followed Moses. Let me, let me show you a verse that I hope will make you go back and think again. Put, put your finger right there in Hebrews and flip over with me, please, to the Gospel of John for just a moment, just a moment. John chapter 5. Chapter 5. John chapter now, Jesus is arguing with Moses' disciples. <laughs> they are, they are they're after Jesus, that he is, doesn't have qualifications to be who he claimed to be. But notice what Jesus says. Verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him, and he will come and may already be on the planet tonight. That's prophecy concerning the Antichrist, the one who will make the false treaty. Someone else will come in his own name and you will accept him. Now, verse 44, how can you believe while accepting glory from one another? You don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. 
Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? Your accuser is Moses. Moses. What in the world does that mean? Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. How does Moses become the accuser of the Jewish people who hope in Moses? Here's, here's the answer in a heartbeat. Everything that was said on Mount Sinai was said by Jesus. He's the one who's dictating all that. Everything that was written in the Ten Commandments and the law, that whole covenant, was predicated upon Jesus, not Moses. If all you got is the law, that law will condemn you because you are incapable of producing the righteousness of God out of your own effort. And that was the purpose of the law. That's why God gave the law, to show these people they needed a redeemer. They needed a savior. They needed someone who would come and on their behalf fulfill all the roles of prophet, priest, and king, and on their behalf become the Lamb of God, and on their behalf die the death which would provide salvation. All Moses could do was say, God says, if you sin, you're dead. And if you want to prove that you can be righteous by keeping the law, here's the law. But you can't accomplish that. You can't keep the law. That's why blood sacrifices were absolutely essential. That's why the tabernacle was critical to the law. The law could only condemn. The law could only point the finger and say, do good or you're damned. Do righteousness or you're dead. Keep the whole law, never violate it in attitude, motivation, or action, or your toast. That's what the law said. And that's all the law could say when it came to human effort. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You, you, folks, you folks are hanging on to Moses and the law and the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrifices and all these. That's not going to get you there. That's designed to prove to you you can't get there apart from an intercessor, apart from a Messiah, apart from someone who can come and fulfill all the law perfectly as a man and then be willing to take the burden of your condemnation upon himself, die the death that you deserve, and in that death, form a propitiation or a place of redemption in the heart of God. See that? You get it? You get it? <laughs> well, at least talk about it over the next cup of coffee. Jesus looked at those law practicers, those who were followers of Moses, who were rejecting Jesus' claim that I came from the Father, the Father sent me, and they're saying, we don't want you. We don't believe in you. We won't have you. And he's saying, apart from me, Moses is your accuser. What Moses wrote, that you worship and value, 
All of that condemns you, proves that you're a sinner. You need somebody outside that system, beyond that system, above that system, who can provide for you a grace-filled salvation independent of your efforts, and then give it to you as a gift. Got it? Okay, back then to Hebrews chapter 3. As we consider Jesus, the writer says he is, he's in a whole different league than Moses. He is faithful as Moses was faithful. But he begins at a different point and ends up in a whole different conclusion. If you're only trusting Moses and only trusting the law and only doing your best to keep the law, you're toast. You're not going to make it. You must come to Jesus Christ. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. And Hebrews is written to take that and put it in smaller bites to show what that means, show that works out. So Moses was faithful at his time in his service serving God, but what Moses did and what Moses provided could not provide a salvation for those who are sinners by nature and choice. It won't work. That's why Jesus came. And so Jesus, we read, Jesus is faithful to the one who appointed him. Jesus was appointed by God to come into the world and to be our Savior, become our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus was appointed. And later we're going to study that he was faithful. He didn't do, say, or speak. He didn't do, say, or or think anything, Jesus didn't, but what was the will of the Father? He always did what pleased the Father. And the Father several times in miraculous manifestation gave testimony that he was pleased with this one. This is my well-beloved Son in whom I am exceedingly pleased. Why? Because he always was faithful, always obeyed the one who appointed him. So he performed the reason he came into the world perfectly. Now Moses was also faithful, but uh, Moses was a guy building a house. And the house really was the house that Jesus owned all the way back to Adam, all the way back to Enoch, all the way back to Noah, all the way back to Abraham. Nobody goes to heaven except on the basis of the merit of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? That is critical to your faith. Nobody gets there by pulling on their own bootstraps. It's one of the reasons why God gave Adam and Eve coats of skin. An animal had to die. There had to be death. There had to be a substitute. 
The payment for their sin needed to be dealt with. And so God, in typical teaching form, provided them covering at the death of an animal, picturing the one who would come and be the Lamb of God. Okay. <laughs> Verse 6, Jesus was faithful as a son over his household, whose household we are. We are the household. We, are, we have benefited from the work of Moses, but Moses doesn't save us. We have benefited from the insight and experience of being examined by the law of God, which was for the Israeli people, part of the covenant to the Old Testament people. But we look at it and see it as it is indeed the covenant of God's righteousness expounded, and it brings conviction to our lives, just like it did the Jews, and forces us to ask, oh God, how can I be saved? I can't save myself. That's what Romans is all about. That's what Romans goes on to teach. But I want to make one other point before we, before we close it down tonight. We are his household. We are the house that Jesus built. Now watch. Verse 12. I'm going to skip over that quotation of the Old Testament. We'll come back there next week. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Mark this phrase that departs from the living God. But encourage one another daily, while it's still called today, so that none of you, mark this, is hardened by sin's deception. What the writer is saying is that there's no neutral ground here. No neutral ground. If you're going to take the Moses road, absolute perfection of thought, mind, and deed, all your life with no deviation, whatever, if that's the path you're going to pursue, okay, you're following a deceptive path. You're being deluded by sin. You're not escaping. You're bringing condemnation upon yourself. Let me say that a little differently. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Your problem, my problem, is our heart. For the law was given through Moses, John wrote in his gospel. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Which would you rather have? And before you answer, understand that the law condemns. It doesn't justify us. But there are people who call themselves Christians who are confused about that. Let's accept the grace and truth that came through Jesus. Today on Right Start, we heard the middle portion of Jim's sermon, Faith is the Reality. We'll send the message to you on CD for a gift of $7 or more. For your offering of $66 or more, we'll get you the 19 sermons collected under the title, God's Ultimatum, Volume 1. Right Start is brought to you by some good people who prayed and gave. Thank you if you're one of them. We don't do drawn-out emotional appeals. You have to listen fast to even catch me saying that we need your help. But we do need support from our listeners, so please be open to that idea. And then mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
888-382-2313. And on the web, go to rightstartradio.org. Hundreds of messages like this one are available to listen to for free. We've cataloged the original sermons not edited for broadcast and also the radio shows. Get new programs delivered daily through the Right Start podcast. You can email us and donate too at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. It is Election Day in the U.S., in case you forgot. We'll continue to consider Jesus tomorrow and what Jim calls the second warning in Hebrews. Please join us on Wednesday for the next Right Start. Right Start.